Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we're going to discuss 1969 modern western, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a movie with 40 tones. And we'll talk about each of them uh, momentarily. But before we get started, how was your week? Oh, my week was very exciting. I had Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, you had Christmas. And this mm. is actually a post... We are recording pre-New Year's, but we are post-New Year's when we release it. So, happy 2023. Mm-hmm. May it be better than 2022 and 2021 and 2020. And really, let's go all the way back to 2016. Let's go. Let's see if we can get back to... Although I don't also like good old days conversations. <laughs> let's just see if we can do better this year shall we do you want to guess how your new year's was or do you want to just get into <laughs> guess how my new year's was i believe i had a good time oh that's good we have people invited over we have people um, coming over and they're friends and so that'll be fun uh that was fun <laughs> and um apparently it will have been fun <laughs> one of the friends that i have has is going to bring lightsabers um, oh, we don't. I thought we didn't fuck with lightsabers in this well, house. But now that lightsabers aren't the problem, we are we going to? Yes, do now that lightsabers are no longer the problem, and I know how to use one, it'll be different. Who, who's bringing a lightsaber? Paul is I figured. A okay. <laughs> um, how was your? Um, I have your... a feeling I'm going to be hiding in my room the whole time. Oh, that's a pity. You're this not, is getting out of hand and massively large, and I don't fucking want to deal with it, so. <laughs> we'll see. I'll probably just hide my room all the time. It's fine. I've got a door. I'm allowed. So, we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be fine, but I don't like New Year's, and she's doing everything on New Year's Eve. Mm. So, already I'm like, oh, trepidatious. <laughs> but I'm excited to get into next year, because this year has been a lot for m- many people, and yes. I am... It was an interesting year. I spent most of it on my back. Yes. Well, or on your tummy. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Some some people we know had excellent years, um, Mm -hmm. and I only hope better for them even in the future. Liza had an excellent year. Liza had an excellent year. Um, But there was cancer. There was too many surgeries. There was too many deaths. So I'd like to just leave it in the past. Mm. Uh, So the first... uh, movie that we're talking about in the year 2023 is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, directed by, sorry, directed by George, George Roy Hill, which is just a Western director's name, if ever I've heard a Western director's name, and written by William Goldman, and starring Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Catherine Ross. And the closest thing to a throuple I've ever seen on screen. So they all just love each other so much. And I should have loved this movie more than I did. But I was left confused. Very confused. Why? Uh, Because it wanted to be a rom-com, but also it was super violent. (laughs) You can't have a rom-com if two of the three... Roms at the end up dying in a hail of bullets at the end, even if you don't see it. Oh my gosh, it. you just spoil the movie for everyone. <laughs> well, we're doing that's what we do here. So Based on those historical characters who died over a hundred years ago, you just years, yeah. spoiled it. So this is loosely based on 
True things. Right, it is. These are two men who existed. Mm -hmm. And so, well, two men and a woman that existed. Oh, did she? Was very much a part of their lives. She was a very attractive young woman. Nobody knows where she came from or what she was doing with them, other than that she did go to Bolivia with them and left a little bit early um, and avoided the the fate that befell both of them. In this movie, her name is at a place. She's Mm -hmm. a school teacher who is um, with Sundance, the Sundance kid. Right. Whose real name? Hold on, I will get it. Harry Longbaugh. That's the Sundance Kid's given name. Okay. Played by Robert Redford. Beautiful mustache, beautiful hairs. Weeks out, running from posse's and whatnot, and his hair is still gorgeous. I don't know where he got the leave-in uh, or the dry shampoo in 1899, but he's definitely working well, some leave-in damage. My understanding is that. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were actual people. Yes. Oh, and but Cassidy were... is also not his real name. His real name was... Da, da, da. Robert Leroy Parker, which they do say in the movie, mm. like, over drinks one day, they're just like, oh, my, here's my real name. And then the other one's like, well, oh, really? Well, they don't seem this to know mine. very much about each other. They just sort of bonded and ran together as pards, and that was Well, because they story. are... First of all, Butch Cassidy is about... He's older than the mm-hmm. Sundance Kid, hence the kid title. Um, but also, the actors. Paul Newman is about 11 years older than Robert Redford. Uh, but they... Uh, you can't dig into somebody's past too much if you know you're both outlaws. Right. That's... Uh, you don't talk about that. You talk about the things that you tell stories about, and mm-hmm. then you leave everything else alone because <laughs> that could really get you into trouble. If you know too much about me, then you've got leverage on me and vice versa. So we don't, we don't do that. We, we have what we share in common and the stories I choose to tell you, and that is it. We don't dig into, into pasts. Although they did, like I said, tell mm-hmm. each other their real names. Um, and in the format of this film, Butch Cassidy runs a gang. Sundance Kid is the fastest gun in the West. Because <laughs> you've got to have a fastest gun in the West. Uh, and and they go along together. Uh, all they want to do is rob a, rob a bank. Like, Sundance only ever wants to be robbing banks. Or I guess being with Etta, mm-hmm. but Robin Banks is where his so heart lays. <laughs> the actual characters that they're based on, yeah. as I said, no one knows quite where Etta Banks came from. There were some rumors that there was a prostitute, that she was right, a prostitute. Place, excuse me. Uh, William Goldman insisted that she wasn't. Uh, he spent a about prostitute? eight years researching this mm. film. And so... To be fair, uh-huh. a woman living on her own after a certain age in the Old West probably was an occasional prostitute. Well, but there's no evidence that that was any more than Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. It's just, you know, it's something that comes to... It's also a way for men to dismiss how important she was to these two other men. But... Um, apparently, these were very much like the characters they played. Uh... Butch was the most affable, gregarious, friendly person on earth. People got his autograph. 
he was um, he was always buying drinks for everyone. Right. That's he why was, he was broke all the time. Is because he was taking care of everybody. Right. Exactly. Him. And he was a terrible gambler. Is what we and he was out. a bad gambler. And the Sundance Kid, on the other hand, was a very good gambler and also and didn't cheat. Very quiet and very lethal, and also yes. very apparently fatal to women. Women loved him and his big handlebar he was so mustache. Handsome. So and his beautiful hair. In that respect, there's a lot of verisimilitude between the actors that wound up in the film, yeah, and the characters. They weren't the first choice, really. Who was the first choice? Oh well, William Goldman had been shopping this around for quite a while, yeah, and he, um, because he didn't want to do the research, he said to turn it into an, a novel. Oh, William right. Goldman, as we know, is a is a it's remarkable. It's way easier to write a screenplay than it is to write a novel, y'all. Right. It's way easier. It's why we're that's where we're turning our focus, you and I. <laughs> it's easier to write a screenplay. Goldman wrote, as we know, wrote uh, probably the things that people will remember most now are the Princess Bride. Yeah. Um, oh, what's but he also wrote things like Heat, Marathon Man, No Way to Treat a Lady. He wrote the screenplays for any number of Stephen King adaptations. Um, and also other things, Hearts of Atlantis, Dreamcatcher, uh, The Ghost in the Darkness, Maverick. He also wrote All the President's Men, which we just right. talked about. And uh, The Stepford Wives, which was a brilliant piece of screenwriting. The original, not yes, the Not, not the, the awful Nicole remake. He, he was very fond of sort of capers and adventure stories and things like this. Um, he started with trying to cast somebody, a producer told him that this would not be a suitable subject for a Western because it's essentially two men on the run from this super posse that's out to get them. Also, he, um, this is only his third screenplay. Right. Uh, he, he shopped it around for years. One studio had told him that John Wayne doesn't run away from, you know, a posse or the law, so it's not anything that anybody's going to want to see in a Western, which are two uh, Western heroes who spend the entire film running away. And so he changed, he said, altogether about eight pages of the film, and then it got produced. So I'm guessing that the shift in tone might have been what he shifted for it to get made into a film. It's just... Because it does. It's There's a number of things he had to change, including the actual name of the Hole in the Wall, ga- hole in the wall Gang was not the Hole in the Wall Gang, but the Wild Bunch. Oh, yeah, I got Which is another that. film that just got made, and there's a lot of echoes of that film in this one, including the slow motion shootouts and things like that. Yeah, there are slow motion shootouts. They, they fade in and out of sepia. It, it feels, it's got vibes of a Rob Reiner film, mm-hmm. which makes sense because they work together a lot later. Right. Um, like, I could see why Rob Reiner would see this movie and want to work with William Goldman because right. he's got a very light touch. But the subject matter just really, it makes the light touch seem like it's mocking mm. at the end of it. Like, that's kind of where I thought. Like, what's the song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, where... Which, by the way, apparently nobody liked that song for this film. None of the principals did. It makes no they sense. They felt it was very much out of place and out of, to- out of uh, the tone for the film. Out of tone for the film. There's a... An entire three-minute-long segment, mm-hmm. the entirety of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head is played, and Paul Newman rides a bike and flirts with Robert Redford's lady, because mm-hmm. they're all together. 
Whether you like it or not, all three of these people have slept together. <laughs> it's just what it is. The fact that they're in separate beds at one point, I'm like, get the hell in. What are you? These, this is a true. These people all would be together in the same bed. <laughs> There's a scene in the film where Sundance is in the bedroom while Butch is trying to entertain a lady friend. Yes. And while Sundance is peering out the window waiting for the super posse, which is made up of, you know, we'll talk about that later, a group of lawmen that have come together. But you never actually meet. We, we right. know all their names, but we never actually see them. Right. There's a, a <laughs> the world's best Indian tracker followed by two of the world's best uh, lawmen. Just cops, yeah. And they're all out to get them. With They've taken the vow that they're going to kill them, and that's it. There's no There's no alternative to this. So at one point, uh, Sundance is looking out the window, keeping an eye, while Butch is entertaining this woman who's just infatuated with him. And and there doesn't seem to be any kind of issue with the fact that he's in the bedroom while this other guy is trying to make love to this woman that he, one of his regulars from the uh, brothel. Yeah, because, well, because I... <laughs> And I, it's one of those it's things where you're like, situation okay, well. where these guys are on the on the uh-huh. road together all the time. Right. Sex is not. I believe probably before the 1930s mm-hmm. in the in the Americas, at least, sex wasn't a closed door activity necessarily. Right. Um, and that may be true even longer ago. Um, in in other parts of the world. You had sex where you could, when you could. And that was often in the middle of the day behind a barn. People saw people having sex all the time. And now we have this taboo on it. Like, we don't right. talk about it. We don't... Everybody knows you're fucking. Like, just... It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but we, we still have this taboo. But I think at this time, it's 1898, 1899, the Spanish-American yeah, uh, Spanish War is going on. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's no indoor plumbing. There's no... These, this is when every the whole family slept in one room. Mm. And they kept having kids. Right. So, like... Sex was happening around other people. It just was. Right. Um, so yeah, that doesn't. That's not. But I mean, that's also the degree of kind of indifference they had to it. Yeah. Um, although, and they weren't like in, in this version of the compar- film, like in competition. For right. It. In this story, Butch is kind of he's in obviously in love with Etta. Edda obviously has feelings with him. They they share a moment where she says, what do you think would have happened if you'd found me first? If I met you first, If yeah, I met you yeah. first, would we be in a relationship? And he said, we, we are in a relationship. We are in a relationship, yeah. And the, uh, the fact that at one point later on, um, Edda is trying to teach Spanish to the Sundance kid, and he's trying to make love to her because he doesn't want to learn Spanish. Yeah. And they just sort of knock on the bedroom door to the bedroom opposite. The, the wall. Right. They share a wall with... They share a wall on the right. opposite side of the wall. Fucking uh, Butch is laying in bed with his head to 
Their beds are t- like right. touching through the wall. They're in the same. He's hearing all right. This. And he's just sort of like, yeah, I, I'm awake. Why? And Ed is asking him questions. Of how do you say this? Like she's drilling them. And while... she's not yelling. Right. She's speaking in a conversational tone, so he can hear everything that is happening. Exactly. So yeah, th- this is a. It's a interesting film from that respect, because I don't. There's no jealousy. Right. When when Sundance sees her hugging up on Butch, mm. it's fine. Yeah, he even says it. I'm stealing your woman. He's like, well, take her. Take <laughs> he goes her. back to bed. <laughs> yeah. It's just, they're not... This was... Okay. Because, because both mm. of them are fine. Both of them right. are secure with what they have and what they've got going on. Paul I know. <laughs> That's so, a big part of it. How much more secure can you get? Um, they... The sixties. Also, a woman is not right. a pie. It's right. not like if you have some, I don't get any. That's not how it right. works. <laughs> the uh, the characters. Well, there's that. There's that element to it. But you also remember this is 1969, right? It is. We. This is a couple of years away from a movie like um, Cabaret. Yeah. Which was also about and absolutely about a couple that was you know Michael York is a bisexual man who doesn't really understand his sexuality there's a a gay partner and there's Liza Minnelli's bisexual partner and that wasn't really that was sort of part of the new kind of filmmaking or new kind of storytelling. You could tell stories of people like this, and it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't. It's not a huge deal. But 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 the the, the weird thing that in this movie is mm. nothing's a huge deal in this movie. Well, so now now your your <laughs> issue is that it might have been because I, when I read that he had to change eight pages in order to get the film made, I'm going maybe that's what she's having the issue with. Um, because when we watched a film like The Wild Bunch. There was a pretty steady kind of gloom and doom it was, throughout yeah, the Yeah, it was miserable. Film. It was like, oh, God. This and you is knew not going to end well you for knew anybody. These people were heading. Yeah. And so, in this case, you don't want them to go there. No, but this is also the original film of Louise. Right. Right? Basically. It goes out almost exactly the same way. We, yeah. We're just going to show you pictures from before. We're not going to show you them dying. <laughs> yeah. But they definitely did, because you can hear the gunshots. Apparently, all the gunshots. The, at least one story is that they use the historical photographs where they have the sepia beginning yeah. and the middle transition part of the film because they want, they were originally told they could use some of the sets from Hello, Dolly, these big sort of New York at the turn of the century mm-hmm. sets. And then we're denied that, so the director had the idea of, okay, let's see if we can actually have, these are historical people, let's see if we can mix in actual photographs of them along with photographs of the actors. And it works well. Yeah, it does. Like, the whole first scene is actually sepia-colored, which is Mm -hmm. odd. Um, And then we go into color, and then we go back into sepia, and then we go back into color, and then we go back into sepia at the very end. Um, or sepia? I don't know how it is pronounced, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. I like sepia better than sepia. Sepia sounds like a disease. Um, Sepasemia? Sepasemia. That might be why. Uh, So, basically, the thrust of the entire... Like, the, the plot is really... They... They heist a train coming and going, and it pisses somebody off. Somebody with mm. enough money that they basically are put upon by this banker. Right. 
uh, set upon by him. And they don't even get the money the second time because <laughs> Butch Cassidy uses too goddamn much dynamite and does blow the whole thing to smithereens. Uh, but this, uh, this banker feels like he's being picked on, so he hires, yes, the best Indian tracker and the best lawman to just, until they're dead, follow them. That is what their job is. Um, which is similar to, yeah, similar to the Wild Bunch. So, um, which, Butch was right, because the whole thing is pop, pops off because Butch and Sundance go back to their hole-in-the-wall gang, mm-hmm. where one of the members is like, you're not in charge anymore, I'm in charge. And Butch is like, that's ridiculous. It's called... Right. Cassidy's hole in the wall gang. You can't be in charge. Um, Sundance takes that dude out, and then they hear what his plan oh, Butch was. Takes the, oh, the, does no? Yeah. He doesn't because Butch has never killed anyone. No, Butch doesn't take him out. He kicks him in the testicles, if oh, you remember, because they get a oh, knife fight. It's oh, by it's the a way, knife fight. for anybody who doesn't has never seen Ted Cassidy not in makeup. As either oh, Lurch right. it was te- 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 or Cassidy. as Bigfoot when he was in the Six Million Dollar Man playing Bigfoot. He's a huge guy. Or, he, I mean, he almost played the Incredible Hulk for a while. Yeah. As a matter of fact, his voice is the narration. He's six foot nine. He's right. a giant Huge man. man. But he didn't want to do that part. But he... Um, he's, I knew he was familiar, but I, did, right. I couldn't... He's the voice of the Incredible Hulk, the, the narrator. Yeah. He also was, for those people like me who like this kind of story... He was the voice of Godzilla in the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla cartoon. Mm. He did the vocalization. So it's like, oh, he was Lurch and Godzilla. Mm, interesting. Good for him. Yeah, so he's like, I'm in charge now. And mm-hmm. they're like, no. And then uh, Butch regains control. And then he's like, oh, what, would it was, what was the plan going to be? It was going to be rob a train going and then uh-huh. rob that same train on the way back. Because no matter how little you get on the first try... They're going to think that you've already hit right, it, so they won't have the hit nerve it again. To, to do this again. So you're going to get stuff on the second. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's actually a good idea. Even though when he came in, he was like, no, I don't want to rob trains. Banks are better. Banks don't move. Right. Banks are always where they are. Same employees. You can case them. You know what you're walking into. Right. They're not moving, and they can't cut your leg off if you fall in front of one. It's not a thing Which a bank has ever done. Happened to my grandpa. I know. That's why I said it. So, but he was like, "No, let's do that." And so he does. And then the owner of the 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 bank owner of mm-hmm. this train uh, sets this posse after him. At which point they're like, "Let's go to Bolivia," <laughs> because Bolivia is supposed to be chock full of silver and gold and tin mines, and you can't walk right. two steps without falling into a pit full of gold. And uh, Sundance is like, I don't want to go to Bolivia. But then they are chased for several days by this posse. They find out that this posse has been put up to basically track them until they're dead. They're told by, you know, even a friendly sheriff is like, you're outlaws and your days are over. Like, you can't, right. you're not going to live to be old men. You're going to die. The, because this, this guy, E.J. Harriman, or is it, is it E.H. Harriman? Yeah. Who we keep hearing about all through the film. We never, we never see him. No, uh, he he has he takes it very personally that Butch and Sundance robbed his train twice. twice. And so, in an attempt to discourage this, because this is almost 1900, this is really the turn of the century. The yeah. world is changing. Yeah, 
he decides to put together again like a supergroup of of various western stars that are coming together to hunt the Lord down. Baltimore the Indian tracker was was relentless lawman Joe LaForce these are characters yeah these are actual people in the film right that we don't ever see yeah. <laughs> except at a distance and i think that uh, in <laughs> like some... it follows right. and they're never going to get away <laughs> it works to me that <clears throat> In this particular film, because in some movies you'd want to get the interaction with the, the posse and the lead characters. In this film it works because it's just this thing hanging over their heads. And their introduction is, while they're in the midst of robbing a train, to have this train slowly pull up behind the train that they're robbing. Yeah. The whistle goes off, this door kicks open, and suddenly these horses spring out, and they just don't stop. They just don't stop. And the comparison to It Follows is really apt, because it yeah. becomes kind of menacing. They they won't they stop. Lo- they get rid of all of their horses but one, so uh-huh. they're riding together on a horse to try and make them go faster. And it's just, they're constantly... Right. They cannot get away from this... And they never slow down, and they never stop, no. and they just keep coming. And it is like... It's a lot. Yeah, they're relentless. <laughs> and there's nowhere to... They're in the West, you guys. It's a big country. Right. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. They do end up going back, and they and, and that's when Edda is like, you're in the paper, and shit's bad. Right. And then that's when uh, Butch is like, let's go to Bolivia. We can rob every bank, because they'll all be full of all of the, the wealth that is being pulled out of the mines in Bolivia. They get down to Bolivia... And uh, it's not what Sundance thought it was going to be. They do bring well, Edda Cass- with Butch them. Butch thought it was. Because Sundance well, is just pissed. Yeah, but Butch is always optimistic. But Sundance is like, this is bullshit. This might be the fucking best place we've ever been. Or like the best place in Bolivia. And it's shitty. And I'm right. like, it's not that shitty. There are adorable baby pigs. You need to calm down. And some kind of maybe alpaca or llama. I, I don't, don't know. know if it was an alpaca or a llama. I can't tell. Um. They go into Lava Bank and realize they don't know enough Spanish to do that. And so they leave and they get Edda to flashcard them with all of the specific phrases that they're going to need. And then Edda, school teacher, winds she up... She ends up joining them. Because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can't just know the stuff you have to say. You have to be able to know what they're saying to each right. other and to you. you if you're going to successfully have a robbery, you need to be able to communicate with those you're robbing. There's a, okay, one thing I liked, one of the things I liked about this film is that it's very, very funny. It's funny. It's, and and so I can understand the ideas that you're having with a shift in tone that it goes from being a full-out, at times, comedy. There are just huge comic scenes in this film to dramatic scenes and then just this kind of really negative, violent kind of... A real rough ending. Right. Um, But there's a really funny scene where Butch and Sundance attempt to rob a bank using crib sheets. Yes, (laughs) and he's like, you put your hands up. (laughs) Like, Butch says, put your hands up, and Sundance is like, their hands are already up. And then, get against the wall. He's like, they're already against the wall. (laughs) He's going down the list. And it's not it's not good. Um, but she does end up joining them. And then mm-hmm. they become successful in Bolivia. They're called the Yankees. What is it? 
what is it? Yan- Yankee Bandits. Los Bandidos Yankees. Y-A-N-Q-U-I-S. <laughs> and then they see a dude in a white hat and they think that the people who were after them are still after them, which we don't know if that's true. If they had, you know, go across country border right. money or power to do that. And so we don't know if they're still coming. Uh, but uh, then they're talking about, okay, well, let's not be outlaws. Cause we did get yelled at. And um, this it's hard. It's hard out mm-hmm. here for a pimp. So like, maybe let's not, maybe let's go ahead and um, get real jobs. That's a novel idea. We have skills. We have marketable skills. <laughs> so handsome and charming they both are. And uh, they get a job as payroll guards for a mining company. They're immediately ambushed by a gang of local bandits. <clears throat> and their boss is killed. And they end up taking out all the bandits. But that is when we find out a cool two hours into this movie that Butch Cassidy has never killed a man. Right. <laughs> and you're like, how did you run a gang? By love, not fear. That's he, how. He did it by just... Affability and buying right. you a drink. We're treated very early on in the film into a scene where you see their strengths. The scene with, you know, Ted Cassidy's Harvey, the guy with the huge Bowie knife who pulls it out for a knife fight. And... Butch outflanks him and outtalks him, and then very quickly, while he's trying to reason or catch up to verbally what Butch is doing, he get and just uh, kicks him in the ass, kicks him in the ass, <laughs> and then punched in the face, and that's the end of, the of end Harvey. Of but um, we see earlier also that, uh, and that's the the sepia scene. Yeah, Butch Cassidy. I mean, the Sundance Kid really is that guy. He's the guy who is he's remarkably fast, fast with a gun and very gun. accurate. Yeah. So between the two of them, it's he like, doesn't love it. No, he's just good at it. I think nobody wants I don't, to he's challenge. Not a, he's not one Butch. of those people, though. He's like he's mm. not like kids in other right. westerns where um, all of their um, all of their pride and uh, sort of self worth is wrapped up in how many people they've killed, right, or exactly. you don't dare step to me, or don't you know I'm the best? It's none of that with him. Yeah. He's just really that fucking good. He's also, he shoots somebody at the beginning for calling him a cheater because he wasn't cheating. He's just fucking good at cars. (laughs) He's just good at shit that you need to be an outlaw. And it makes him look guilty as shit because one of the things that he's good at is straight murking people, (laughs) which (laughs) I'm not great. Um, So they... They get the payroll, like, they they figure, they finish that job, but they're mm-hmm. like, we can't, this is not right. it. This isn't the thing. And then, you know, Ed is like, well, what about farming or ranching? And all of them are like, we're not See, Edda, farmers earlier, or ranchers. When they asked her to go to Bolivia with them, yeah. um, she makes an agreement with them that She'll be there for it. She'll be there for the trip. She'll be there for Bolivia. She'll be there for all of it, but she's not going to watch them die. No. Yeah. And that scene actually is really kind of touching because you can see 
they're at the end of their rope, and there's nothing else they can. There's really nothing do. else they can do. They're like we, and we all kind of all understand where this is going. And she's right. like, "I'm gonna head back to the U.S. Um, early because right. they say that they're gonna go in a couple of weeks, but kind of they kind of know like, yeah, they're coming to the end, right? And she's like, "Love you, bye." Right. She's <laughs> she's actually very because I can't. Yeah, I can't watch. She the loves them die. both too much mm-hmm. to see them both go like this, and she knows where it's going. Yeah. And she's not going to wind up in Bolivia, you know, this yeah. woman who's wanted in Bolivia herself. She's not wanted yeah, in the Yeah, no, States. she's also, she's right. a bank robber down here. So, yeah, she's she's got to get out. Right. Uh, it makes sense for her to do that. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks or whatever. Uh, well, like a month. It takes several weeks to get anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, the two steal payroll and a burrow. And are um, outed. The it's the you guys don't steal animals that are marked because a little kid is going to out you to the law and you're going to be caught. I swear that happened. <laughs> it's happened like four times in, in stuff that we watch. So a uh, little boy recognizes the branding and alerts the police. They have a fight, a uh, gunfight, and it's pretty significant. There's a lot of police out there on top of roofs and stuff. Uh, yeah, they call it the the local police. The place where they Butch and Sundance have broken into, there's the local police. The one of the kids recognizes the brand on on the borough, calls the police. The police actually notified the army, well, which the is thing. in town. Which I I knew that was going to come because I I read the thi- the mm. thing, so I was like, I know the army is coming. But that first firefight. Uh-huh. It's just the police. Right. It's just like 25 members of the police. Um, and they're running out of ammunition. And Bush is like, I, I will run to the donkey to get more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sundance is like, why are you going to do that? And he's like, because I can't cover you. <laughs> you can cover me and I can't cover you. So you, that's what I have to. Right. Like, and he's like, I don't love it. Like, <laughs> But that's what it is. Like. Sundance I, I is love the yeah. gunfighter. Sundance is the better shot. Which so is first. There's no one time of to us be brave. Put you do, hand, oh, you do it. Our right. lives in the other yeah. one, other other's hands, in the in the other's shooting ability. Right. I have to put my life in your hands because you don't put your life in my yeah. hands. It would be a terrible decision for everyone. So he's like, uh, and and but uh, and Sundance is like, I'm not going to argue that. That's true. You're right. That's true. Uh, and he does almost make it. He does get shot in the back, coming back. And Sundance reaches out, you know, goes and pulls him in. He also gets shot. So now they're both shot. Butch, of course, goes, you call that covering? Because <laughs> you got to crack a joke as you're literally dying. I love the kind of, they know they're going out. Yeah. This is the end for this them. Is it. And they're just nagging each other like an old married couple. Old married couple. Well, if you're, you know, I didn't know you were going to walk over here. Yeah. He said you're going to run yeah. back. You said you were going to be in a hurry, so I don't know what that performance was, and um, and they don't know now. And but we see the literal Bolivian army showing right. up, like, oh, you've got the Benditos Yankees here, right? And there are like seventy five. <laughs> there's, like, uh, there's so many, and they're just all now in the courtyard in front of the building that they're right. in. So. Fucking good luck, guys. I don't know. <laughs> You're done. Yeah, that, in that respect, it did remind me a lot of the ending of The Wild Bunch when they're inside of yeah. the... Uh, the I, I can't remember the the royal pa- the uh, palace for the general. And they 
just walk into this gunfire here, it's a you know, they're not going to make it. That's and we're not treated to five minute long sequences of each of the characters slowly dying. Yeah, um, and then they are like, "Fuck it, let's go!" And then they run outside, and then we are treated to a freeze frame. It goes to Sepia, photograph of the two of them running, and then we just hear so many gunshots. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie, y'all. They did die. They did then die. Woof. I just... <sighs> These are two men who were real. Mm-hmm. Did kill a lot of people, even if Butch not so much but didn't but Butch is like a Manson at this point, right? He's Well that's a strange comparison. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but he doesn't actually do the not, killing. He's not e- he's not evil, right. but when Sundance is a part of his crew and Sundance is killing all these people because out of necessity mm-hmm. necessity. Right. I'm using air quotes, necessity. That's on your name's on the gang. So that is on you. Whether or not you fired the, the weapon or not, he's doing it for the good of your gang, which right. means y- you are culpable. Uh, so these are two men who are responsible for a lot of murders. Mm-hmm. And I am left at the end of this movie like, how the fuck am I supposed to feel about right. them? They're not heroes. They're bank robbers. Now, please understand. I am pro-bank robber. <laughs> I'm really tipping into anarchy in my late years. And right. um, that money is insured. That's a victimless crime as far as I'm concerned. Well, there, there's... Now, was it then? I don't know. Right. But now, today, that's such, a victimless crime. They go through such trouble not to kill anybody if they don't have to. That's true. And so uh, there's a really... Part of what really works in this film is that William Goldman wrote this script, which is really just a series of vignettes. It is. Which is what a lot of his films are. Right. And then you go so much further with having um, just amazing character actors. Yeah. And again, for those of you who don't know them, Struther Martin and Henry Jones and Jeff... All these... Cloris Leachman, Ted Cassidy, all these people are just really great character actors from the last period when character actors were still a big thing. Yeah. And they all sort of do a bit, all of them. They all get a a minute to shine. They do, yeah. And so there's some really funny parts. The the bit where... Or the scenes involving Mr. Woodcock, who is an agent of, uh, of... of Harriman, the the yeah, and the <laughs> their relationship with Woodcock is hilarious. Yeah, because again, it's like, well, there's no way. Even Woodcock even says at one point, "Well, there's no one I'd rather if I had to. I would give you the money if it was my money." Yeah, right. but I've been entrusted by each, and I, there's no one I'd rather be robbed by but, than by you. <laughs> yeah, and it's it. You make out these guys, and apparently there's some truth to that. Who are just very, very kind of charming, and at that point. It, in well, 1899, they're also kind of quaint. You're also talking about there are outlaws and bank robbers and, mm-hmm. and train robbers. There just are. Right. So these are the ones you want to interact right. with. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't want to kill you. Right. (laughs) A lot of them were not, did not give a fuck about whether or not they took out children and women and whatever in in the pursuit of the money that they were going after. That is not these guys vibes um, they I reckon kill a lot of people to anyone who doesn't really is unfamiliar with it I would recommend watching Lonesome Dove oh yeah because it's all good it's really good but you also see that the Old West the frontier was also filled with what we would now call serial killers yes and psychopaths mm-hmm. and all sorts of people that basically were really horrible dangerous people but when you could live out you know you could retreat into the middle of nowhere no one could ever find you, and you could just carry on these crimes forever. Um, in this case, these are people who really don't want to. They, Butch wants to get by on the threat of Sundance like a tool. You know, I got this guy watching my back, yeah. and so I'm going to talk to you, talk you out of things. Yeah. I'm going to be really charming about it. But I'll he's be also funny. a person who's always gotten what he wanted. Right. With his, with and, his, and he does. Charm. He, he spreads, just, he gets yeah. lots of money and he's always broke. He's always spreading it around. He's always gambling yes. too much. He's buying that round for everybody. He's everybody's pal. He's everybody's friend. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's, and I understand. Which is not tenable in the right. long run. Turns out. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, he gets genuinely shocked when, when uh, one of the characters in the story turns him in or turns him over uh, he's really surprised. Yeah. Because he thought, well, that guy, but I'm always, you know, buying that guy drinks. I can't believe he's the guy who, who who's the one who uh, turns me in or gives the information over to the super posse about where to find him. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, I really enjoy most of it. I understand, though, the feelings about it's how... It's just a little confusing. Much of a downer it is. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to... Like, I can't... They're they're pretty Mm sugar-coated, but then they die so violently. And it's just like, so was I supposed to be on their side or not? Like, at the end, am I supposed to be like, yeah, they got it? Because that doesn't seem right. They're literally the heroes of the movie. Yeah. So then to watch them just... Well, you don't watch them die, but to know that... They're just. You they know. warn you from the very beginning of the film. It starts with a clip from what's purporting to be an old Western dramatization of them being hunted by the super posse. So it tells you, oh, they got killed and they were they they got killed in Bolivia. So you know from the very beginning this is what's going to happen to them, right? And so you just don't know when they're going to get it. And they have a speech with their uh, a sheriff friend, who's uh, played by Jeff Corey, who's an old school character yeah. actor. Yeah, he has a wonderful mustache. Um, when he tells them, as he said, "Oh, you're gonna just choose the place you're gonna get it because you're gonna get it. You're gonna buy it at some point. So choose your good death and just run with that." But they're going to get you, and these two guys refuse to believe that. Or maybe they do believe it. And they just know that we're gonna keep running until we can't run anymore. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just it's just odd. It's an enjoyable watch, but yeah, at the end you're like, oh, my heroes are dead. Well, there's it, what's so, interesting. Yay. The film originally, Butch was going to be played by Jack Lemon, who felt that he had played this character too many times, and then just came out and told because the the script eventually was bought by Paul Newman's company, so Paul Newman was a given. Um, 
except for in the beginning he wanted the part to be played by Jack Lemmon, and Jack Lemmon's like, I don't like riding horses. I don't like being outdoors. I don't like doing it. And Lemon's like, no. <laughs> right, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I saw that um, Steve McQueen had signed, signed on to be Sundance, right. but um, he and Paul Newman didn't get along very well. They ended up working together later, but... Yeah, they did the Towering Inferno it. together. and um, and But they don't have a lot of scenes together in the Towering Inferno. Uh, I think that it's a case of two type A personalities that are just, you know... And again, Newman had the extra leverage of being a producer in the film. Right. But apparently, Cassidy, I mean, um, Newman and Redford really, really, really liked each other. And Newman would fuss over Redford. Don't go running on top of that train. You're going to fall off the train and hurt yourself. And then at the same time, uh, Redford's like, don't go riding that, you know, if you you you'd stop showboating on that bicycle. You're going to hurt yourself. Because apparently Newman did all of his own stunts on that he bicycle. He did a thing where he basically was planking. Right, on the seat of the bicycle. On the seat of the bicycle. It's a like, period bicycle, too. His so like, abs right. are strong. And <laughs> anyone who's seen Cole Hanluke will know that he, he does. He shows off his abs an awful lot in that movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the the other thing about this film is that it really everyone involved with it there's a a, a really anachronistic score by Burt Bacharach it, which it would, won the Academy Award right because it was really unusual to I guess they just felt what the hell we're, we're going for broke with how weird this western is so Burt Bacharach wrote the score Conrad Hall who was an amazing cinematographer um, also won an Academy Award right. for this and um, and then you know there's B.J. Thomas's song, which is just odd in this film. But it's it's Edith Head designed the costumes, who was a costume designer from way far back. She's doing Cecil B. DeMille's movies. Um, but all of it just sort of comes together in this really neat way, in that you don't really know what you're watching. That the first scene between Sundance and and Etta also is played out like he sneaks into the room and they do this role play where you think he's out to ravage her and it turns out she's, well, what took you so long? That's the final line of that scene. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of playing with expectations too. You think they're cold-blooded killers, but they're not really. They're just two guys who can't really do anything else. Which is not entirely true. Because they could do, they don't want to. You're right. They could. Well, I mean, the scene with Etta, uh, Butch says, you know, I tried ranching back when I was, uh, you know, he goes immediately from ranching to rustling. rustling. He talks about rustling, how and he then, was employed as a rustler. I'm like, that's not, that's still, you're still in that lot, not dude. the same thing. You're stealing cows. That's what right. rustling is. If you don't know, now you know. It's not just being a cowboy. It's literally <laughs> stealing cows. But yeah, there's, there's. This is the end of the... And I felt like this movie told that in a lot gentler way than The Wild Bunch did with its massacre at the end. Its continuous massacre. Yeah. They're, yeah, and, I, and they're classified as anti-heroes, but they're mm-hmm. not even treated as anti-heroes, really. Right. Because well, the, there's nothing other than the fact that they're straight marking people mm-hmm. who are kind of shitty anyways. They're, they're not... They're like, they're good. 
Like, they're people you'd want to have a hang out with. Right, and that's You that's would it. be Butch Cassidy's fucking friend. Right. And you would try to get up on Sundance. You wouldn't. I would. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, it's, it's very odd. I don't know. Yeah, these guys are remarkably chill. They're very funny. They're very, there's like, there's They're some... like the cool kids. You want to sit at their fucking right. table. You want to be friends with them. You want them to know your name. All of this. All of this. So yeah, And they have, like, a, the other, one of the running jokes in the film is that they're so popular, they have, like, a running fan club going on. They do. All throughout the film, there's people who really want them. Yeah. And apparently that was a factor with the actual outlaws who were getting uh, giving out autographs when they were in Bolivia. I mean, realistically, mm-hmm. what they should have done is do what Wild Bill did. Right. You're famous. Just play off of being famous. Be famous. Right. You can make money that way. Sundance can hit anything. Right. Set up a show. Charge a nickel. Like. Yeah, they could have. Ed is smart. Right. Like, <laughs> you, have all, you have all of the ingredients and you guys have decided, no, we're going to keep robbing pigs because it's the only thing Sundance likes to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's also, like I said, they, they, they make such a kind of a happy couple throughout this film. And then with Etta there, who I guess originally was it was going to be Jacqueline Bissett, and then yeah. it wound up being Catherine Ross, who was very, very... She doesn't wear shoes through large parts of this movie. And maybe it's just the bicycle scene, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she's very funny in this film, too. I didn't know that she was, for the most part, I mean, she was born in Los Angeles, but she was also local. She was oh, a Bay yeah. Area person. Ah. Um, Welcome to the Bay Area. Right. Catherine Ross. And uh, apparently, after, before, um, before Steve McQueen, it was going to be Warren Beatty, but he felt this is too similar to the outlaw played in Bonnie and Clyde. Sure. And I can sure. see that too. Although Bonnie and Clyde was very straightforward with, no, these are just mean spirited people who shoot a lot of people for the hell of it, you know. So, anyhow. You know, Catherine Ross eventually married Sam Elliott, who was uh, on this in this movie, yeah. but only as a card player. He was like card player number two or something. In that really dark sepia scene, so you don't really see him. Yeah. Um, she married him later, much later. But 84. I just, I, <laughs> yeah, they're a very funny couple. They've done a couple of... They did a, a, a film called The Legacy, which is a spooky film. Spooky. And you don't think of Sam Elliott in a horror film, but this is pre, pre-mustache. I don't want any of that. But he's no. very he's very good in the movie. It's a, it's a very funny kind of strange film that was written by Jimmy Sangster, who wrote some of the Hammer movies. So. Oh, interesting. 1978. Yeah. With Roger Daltrey. Yep. Who With has Dan a great... Clive. He, he chokes on a chicken bone and then discovers... That's how you know that there's an occult thing, because he chokes... Oh, no, it's dinner. voodoo. And there's no there's chicken. No there's no chicken in the table, and it's like he, had, you know, because they perform like this tracheotomy and pull out this chicken bone. Oh it god! Turns out there's no chicken at the table. Oh, that's oh, cre- that is creepy. Yeah, it's a it's that's a very weird, creepy. It's a very creepy, weird kind of film. But anyhow, all right. So all right. Next week, if we do our boxing run. No, first. We, oh. Pulp Fiction. Pulp, oh, yes. We okay. gotta get through some Quentin Tarantino, y'all. I do yeah. need to get through some Quentin Tarantino. He's not my favorite. 
I have seen this movie. It's been 20 years at least. Uh, so basically it's like rewatching it from scratch. You've definitely seen this movie because you were married to Stephanie and she loves Quentin Tarantino. Well, she loves, she's had, she turned a corner on Quentin Tarantino. Oh, good. Well. When we saw um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was like, oh, that's no. Oh, it's racist. It's it's racist. It's (laughs) anti-Bruce. And she's Asian. Right. It's anti-Bruce Lee, which is really sad because we live in Oakland. For everyone who doesn't know Bruce Lee, taught in Oakland. Yeah, you know he has a cadre of people Not here. here. Um, and there's also a really weird kind of twisting of history. Yeah. In the end, where oh, he, I didn't even I I refused to watch that right, movie. So there, I don't. where Sharon Tate and others survive the killings. Um, my my family, when my mom was doing prison ministry, actually met Tex Watson and some of the members of the Matson family long after they'd reformed. And so it was, yeah, to me it was like, wait, what? what? Wait, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? But of course he also did a movie involving how Hitler was assassinated by, um, by a small squad of killers, and so his, his grasp of history is not so great. Anyhow, that's next, I guess. Yeah, so Pulp Fiction's up next. Uh, let me see where it's available. 1994 watch movie. It's on HBO Max. So if you have HBO Max, da 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 da. Also, it may be uh, on demand on TNT or TBS. Those are going to be uh, <laughs> heavily edited. <laughs> yes, it's very heavily edited. <laughs> yeah. So in the meantime, do you have anything that you would like to recommend I to our like beautiful listeners? I would like to recommend film <laughs> that film? you and I and Stephanie saw this last weekend. We saw a couple of films. Which uh, film Glass Onion. Yeah. Which is the sequel to Knives Out. I which apparently Ryan Johnson hates that it has to be called a Knives Out mystery. Right. So. <laughs> For anybody who saw Knives Out, that was a great experience. Um, I went, I think, twice in the theaters. To oh, see yeah? It. That's um, cool. Because there was a friend of mine yeah. who... Didn't just like every time she heard knives out. It sounds like a horror movie. It's You're gonna take me to movie. see a horror movie. It's not a horror. She's movie. still mad, probably because I took her to see um, Annabelle comes home and told it's her it was like movie. a family film. That's it's like it's up. like you know, Lassie comes home, Stop Annabelle it. comes, and that's rude. It, that and was you're, just mean. That's out of control. <laughs> Shame on me. I would anyhow. walked out. <laughs> well, I would like enjoy your fucking doll movie. <laughs> but I have the car. I'm leaving. <laughs> right. You can Uber your ass home. But. um Knives Out, it took them a while to go see, and then just, like, was overjoyed. It is a really funny, subversive, hysterical film. I didn't know how they could do that a second time, and they did. The director, the writers, the performers, they're all really, really very funny. And Yep, the only uh, connection... Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are Easter eggs. I have not gone on a deep dive on the Easter eggs on Glass Onion yet, but... The only connection is the Daniel Craig character. Right. Uh, Kentucky Fried Bullshit. (laughs) He's really very funny in this movie. And I I like the fact that we've talked about that before. It's interesting when someone, an actor, gets a couple of characters that will just be, you know, we talked about William Shatner got to be Captain Kirk, and then he got to be T.J. Hooker, and then he got to be Denny Crane, and he got to, like, basically every phase of his career. 
isn't going to be known to each generation for something right. different. And yeah. so it's interesting watching Daniel Craig. I've just finished James Bond, and now I'm going to be, you know... This goofy motherfucker. <laughs> right. That doesn't run. He does not. <laughs> He's, nope. Uh... And, there's and once of, you've watched the movie, uh, go read Ben Shapiro's tweets about the movie because they're ridiculous. It's it's he didn't know what a murder mystery was. Well, I, I don't understand his his argument. He he, do, he doesn't either. It's fine. We don't have to get into it right. because I don't want to give stuff away. But basically, it is a situation where he's like the whole first half is a re, is a misdirect. Yeah, motherfucker, it's a murder mystery. But, That's literally how murder mystery works. Work. You were a fiction writer. Right. <laughs> like, sir. Apparently not a great one. But he, he also know how thinks this that this done. movie that definitely was was written, directed, uh, filmed, and edited before Elon Musk took over Twitter is only about Elon Musk. Here's a Here's a fun fact for y'all. The character that Edward Norton plays is a tech billionaire, and he is an amalgamation of all of them. It's easy to think that it's Elon because he's so deeply stupid, but a lot of them are deeply stupid. So, yeah, it's also satire. Calm your tits. Like, I just, he's such a... Learn how to make an, a woman orgasm and then come back to the big, big, big kids table. Because until you figure that out, I don't really care what you have to say about anything. <laughs> Literally anything. That's such a strange reach. Um, but I understand you completely. The a fact- vagina should be dry as a desert, according to this man, sir. Um. <laughs> I just, you don't, if you can't get the basics of humanity right, then I, I don't need to hear from you on literally fucking anything else. Literally anything else. So, yeah, but it's, okay. Glass well, Onion's very good. All right, do you have anything that you, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, have I taken you I'm just fully like off? the arid vagina thing now. It's, uh, it's uh, arid, vagina. arid. Arid is rough. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um... Hard, ladies and gentlemen, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's really bad. Once again, I've been broke most of my life. I am not great looking, but you know what that I know how to do. That is not true. <laughs> like, that is yeah, not true. Just, but yeah. like, yeah, no, it, it, he's. It's, and then to just tell on yourself uh, to yeah. everyone is wild. And then your wife, your doctor wife, backing you up. She's definitely fucking other people. Um. Anyways, uh, she's a lesbian, maybe. <laughs> she's like, it's fine if you don't want to touch me because I don't want you to. Um. Oh, how sad. You don't. Oh, oh. no, you're not in the mood again. Okay. Well, that's all right. Why don't you go to your room then tonight? <laughs> the upside of being rich is, yeah, don't share a room with the spouse. Should have a moat between you. So will they. <laughs> um, you asked if I had anything yes, to recommend. I did. <laughs> you know, I really did like Spirited. We watched Spirited last uh-huh. night on oh, yes, Apple TV. It's a, it's another Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas. It's a Christmas Carol takeoff. 
Uh, but it's a meta one, mm-hmm. so it knows that that's what it is, and it calls itself out on it. Right. Uh, literally calls itself something that nobody asked for. <laughs> so, um, and I was trepidatious because I have a Will Ferrell issue, and you were trepidatious because you have a Ryan Reynolds issue. My Will Ferrell issue is, except in one movie that I have seen him in, uh-huh. and that was Stranger Than Fiction. After about five minutes, I can't with Will Ferrell. I've never seen Elf. I'm sure it's great. After about five minutes, I can't with Will Ferrell. But he wasn't full Will Ferrell in this. So Unders- I was fine yes, for the whole understandably, movie. Will Ferrell is like a six-foot-four child he who is. throws tantrums and frowns and frets. And I just want to yeah. give him a binky with some bourbon on it so he chills the fuck out. <laughs> Uh, I've but never been a mom. Be, it's fine, everybody. It could very well be that, as I, the same issue I have with Ryan Reynolds, as they grow older, I'll get more used to it, and they'll tone it down some. Yeah. I mentioned before that, you know, um, Cary Grant was just such a manic ball of energy in his early days, and as he grew older, I got to like him more. See, because, I can't picture that even, so, oh, yeah. One of these days we'll have... It's just, it's really weird. It's almost like he's doing Jim Carrey, or Jim Carrey's doing him. I don't like that energy, so we right. don't have to... But, I mean, it's time. weird because when he later on became more sophisticated and more, you know, he's pushing his charm, and he's pushing this kind of, like, these really funny line readings that... And he moved away from the physical comedy. Then suddenly, oh, he's actually funny. But it seems so desperate before. And I get yeah. the same thing with Ryan Reynolds is that there was so much of him kind of just being a smartass to the extent to where, like, will you, will you shut up? Will you please shut up? Yeah, I and know he, that is your thing. He, uh, he's gotten better. But you, like, even buried... Mm-hmm. You liked that movie, right? And and you know what? He does the sort of asshole smart thing in the Deadpool movies, but That's I know point. that character. Yeah, and he's supposed to be that way. Yeah. So it's like that makes sense when he's doing it in another film that's meant to be serious, and they just ask him to Ryan Reynolds it up. I'm like, no, no, no. Although I don't think like you guys are pretty. It's it's funny because you and Seventy both I think think that there is more riffing. Mm-hmm. on sets that actually is. I think people are writing this shit for him because they expect, pe- that's what people expect out of him. Right, but I mean... Like, he's not... Whether or not he's uh, he's riffing or whether it's being written for him, it's... They want to see him do this. Yes. Like, do that thing. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I didn't like... Uh, I liked... What do you call it? I liked... Uh, I just mentioned Drew... Uh, not Drew Carey. Good Lord. Um, Jim Carey. Jim Carey. I liked him in In Living Color because you had five and ten minute bits with him. Yeah. Jim Carrey also needs a director. Right. And he when, needs somebody who will actually direct him. When he was doing Ace Venture or whatever else, it would just got on my nerves. Not up until he's doing something like The Truman Show that I'm, oh, okay, here we go. Because he got a director. He had a went, director who was just... That's enough. Be, right. Exactly. When I heard that he when he was cast for the Lemony Snicket movies mm-hmm. and... I heard the director talk about how we just let him go. Right. I was like, oh, no, that's going to not be good. Right. It's going to be too much. Same, you know who else needs a director? Robin Williams. Like, yeah. Or you've got so much footage that, no, you, you can't use everything. Yeah. Um, we just watched, actually, that was another thing that we just watched, our comedians, um, like, people who made television and a comedian right. special. Um, and... Uh, 
it was made in 2014. Uh, Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams were both, and Cloris Leachman. Who else was was on Dick there? Dick Van Dyke was Dick, on there. Well, yeah, He's but still Dick Van Dyke's around, still right. alive. All of these people have, all of the previous ones had passed. And, uh, but they were talking about how on the set of Mork and Mindy, Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams would just oh, fucking go. They would go and off. And they'd get 50 right. minutes of film footage. They would run out of film. Right, exactly. And they're changing magazines and the, the film containers and all and uh, and trying to But I'm like, right. this is a 28-6-minute sitcom. Yeah. Why are you letting them do this? You can't use all of it. You can't even use most of it. <laughs> but, and, and I can understand that the, I mean, the audiences it. that were like the live audiences watching that show really got their money's worth. They got, sure, yes. They if got they a, were filming in front of a live audience, right, absolutely let them do that. Okay. So, but the thing is that, and they probably were really popular with live audiences. I'm sure. But on the other hand, it was kind because of because you know what the live audiences don't have to do right. pay. Right. You can't charge to be an audience member, so that is a free Robin Williams, Jonathan Winters show. Exactly. That you're getting. And apparently they're just going to let them do whatever the <laughs> fuck they want to do. But I was just like, the show is a half an hour long. Like, Mork and Mindy was a sitcom, right? Yeah, it wasn't it was even an hour, hour long. long. It was a yeah. half an hour long. Um, but yeah, they just, they they did not. They were just like, and, and I'm sure the script literally was like, here's what yeah. you're doing. And then they do it, right. It's, it's literally a improv prompt. Right. And then they just let two of the masters of the form fucking go for an hour, though? At some point, you got to just be like... In fact, what I would do is be like, you've got ten minutes. Make it good. Right. Get, a, so you I, know that what's not good. Get through that. I used Don't to watch... I used to watch... Because I, I liked Morgan Mindy. When I was, you know, it was running when I was a kid, and when they brought Jonathan Williams, I just thought, oh, oh, oh no, this is going to be... Or Jonathan, excuse me, Jonathan, Jonathan Winters. I thought, oh, no, no, this is going to just... And it, they fe- Them feeding off of each right. other could have been really bad, but they worked really well together. They worked really well together. And because they're... neither of them had ego about it. Right. They wanted to be... They both wanted shit to be funny. And they <laughs> worked really well together. I mean, and... Watching that show, then you would hear the audience in the background just go nuts when they started doing this. I would probably piss myself. And, and, I would probably and, be like, you know, the poor um, coaster, like Pam Dauber, is literally like covering her face. She, that poor woman <laughs> right. who had to be mad at whatever was happening. Well, she she said that there were times when she just lost it, where she, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna and break, drink, I can't. I'm gonna watch these people for however long this takes, and then we oh okay, we're jumping back into character now. But that there were moments when you just lost, you, you couldn't contain yourself. They were going off, and every once in a while there would be naughty words slipped in, or all sorts of goofy innuendos. Well, and, yeah, because Robin Williams swore like a goddamn sailor. Right. Jonathan Winters was not better. No. Anyhow. That's really funny. Okay, so yeah, but Spirited um, mm-hmm. is what we were talking about. Right. That's on uh, Apple TV, so if you have Apple TV. It's a, it's a really fun... It's, it's a fun, entertaining film, I think. And it does have a lot of sort of funny points. We watched two musicals this weekend. Yep. It's, a, so, it's also a musical. Right. Watching that and the also last... Also a meta-musical. Of, of Zoe's... Uh, Extraordinary play. Which was which is really sad to see it go. I was really glad that they got 
Some sort of closure. Some sort of closure. Right. Um, and it was really good, and I did cry. It made me cry. I liked that show a lot. I understand why they're not making more of them. It's very expensive, but... Yeah. I hope that uh, Jane gets another show. I like Skylar, too. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It just, it got, there's so much production value involved in this with background dancers and music clearances. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this must be an amazing. Yeah, the cl- music clearances are, yeah. have got to be, because, like, you can't watch WKRP in Cincinnati now. Right. That's... They got music clearance for the day of the airing right. and one, I think, one re- repeat. And it's, it's... so. I was watching Patrick McGowan in The Prisoner, right? The very last episode of The Prisoner, there's a Beatles song in it. They had rights to that Beatles song. They perpetually have rights to this Beatles song. And I believe they paid $25 for it at the time. And they got rights in perpetuity because normally right. rights for that was but this was nineteen sixty-seven or something, it. and so it was just. And I'm like, they did, okay, that's all right. That's so amazing. they went. What what happened? I I bet was you get all the rights. Mm-hmm. You get the rights to the airing once um box like once a recording right. started being a thing, and they narrowed that way down. Oh yeah, since then you, that that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at the time, I, I had somebody ask a, a mm-hmm. question on one of my Facebook groups about rights. And I think it was in the show Supernatural. Mm-hmm. They're like, how do they have this many music? Like, how do they have the music rights to so many shows or so right. many songs? Um, somebody was like, maybe it's all the universal, like it's the, that right. company's because that's a thing. Paramount but owns a lot of music. It wasn't um, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of these big companies are all at the top, like, GE or whatever right. the fuck, and they own half of the music that exists. And <laughs> it's, it's really well used. There's John Drake, the character he played in Danger Man, who is probably the character in Prisoner. He finally gets out of this thing, uh, this uh, village, and for the first time, he uses a, a gun. He almost never used a gun in the entire run of the program. Mm-hmm. And finally, getting out of there, him and his compatriots pick up these machine guns, and they're firing it into this crowd, and they're playing All You Need Is Love in the background, which is... Woof, yeah. It's it's a real statement, so yeah, I'm really yeah. glad they got to keep it. Anyhow, we're getting off track. Okay, so... Pulp Fiction, week, speaking of violence, meaningless fiction, violence. Yes, and we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino. If you have questions or comments and concerns, in the meantime, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter still, at latecomerspod, or on Facebook, latecomerspodcasts, in the search bar. Uh, I would like to remind you... Please, please, please take your medicines. And we'd like to remind you... Better better late late than than never. never.